the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. For many, to acknowledge the law is to acknowledge legalism, and we just can't go down that road. Well, we're not going to go down the road of legalism, but today, here on Abounding Grace, we will take a look at the law and the gospel, and how they do go together. Join us for Abounding Grace next. In the age of grace, it is a challenge to take a look at the law and find its value, find its use, especially for us here in the 21st century. But here in Luke chapter 16, we find just that. We find the law and the gospel. Join us here in verses 14 through 31 as we spend time in our survey of Luke, looking what Jesus had to say about the law and the gospel. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner now from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose with a look at the law and the gospel. The rich man goes to hell because he's a lover of money and failed to make friends with Lazarus by means of his money, as we saw last week. He was hardly highly regarded by his peers, but because of his scoffing at Jesus... And his attempts at self-justification, he was disgusting, it says, in God's sight. Now this parable is easily divided into two parts. It is a drama with two acts and a conclusion. The first part is, is in verses 19 through 20, which shows the relationship of the rich man and the poor beggar in this life. Then in verses 22, 3 through 31, we see the location of the rich man and the poor beggar after death. So let's read again verses 19 through 31 of Luke chapter 16. 19 through 31. Listen carefully. Then was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his swords. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. I absolutely love that verse. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on, on, on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is, he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. 
Then he said, the rich man, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one rise, one who rises from the dead. Now let's look at these two sections of the parable. The first is the relationship between the rich man and the poor beggar in this life. Both the rich man and the poor beggar were Jews. But the rich man disobeyed God's command to care for his poverty-stricken fellow Jew. The rich man knew Lazarus and even called him by name. The poor man never complained about his situation. He never even addressed the rich man. Because he trusted in God, his helper. Both men died. The rich man's life of luxury comes to an abrupt end and he is given an elaborate expensive funeral with flute players, mourners, and all of the rest. He lived in luxury and he was buried in luxury. But we read absolutely nothing about a funeral for Lazarus. Lazarus dies and is taken by the angels to heaven and set at Abraham's side. And the rich man without any of his possessions goes to hell. Then in verses 23 through 31, we see the rich man and the poor beggar after death. Everything changed for both men at the very moment of their deaths. The angels took the poor man to heaven, to Abraham's bosom, where even to today, he enjoys the fulfillment of all the covenant promises of God. When the rich man died, he was stripped of all of his wealth and was alone in hell. It was not his riches that sent him to hell. It was his sinful life, selfishness and heartlessness and worship of riches. Lazarus went to heaven, but not because he was poor, but because he trusted in the Lord. At death, a time of suffering was over for the beggar. And the time of grace was past. It was over for the rich man. As long as they were alive, they had the law and the prophets to teach them the way of salvation in Christ. But death, but at death, the destiny of both was set forever. The poor man is now rich in heaven. And the rich man is now poor in hell. With no escape from hell's torments. Then in verse, verse 24, we hear a pathetic cry from the rich man in hell and in torment. Seeing Abraham in the far distance and Lazarus reposing with his head on Abraham's breast, just like a child secure and happy in his father's lap, the rich man cries out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip his finger into water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. You see, as a Jew, this is a pathetic statement. It is pathetic. 
As a Jew, he, he did acknowledge Abraham respectfully as his father. For you see, even in hell, he was still hoping that his blood kinship to Abraham would count for something, even though he wasn't a believer as Abraham was. As author and pastor Kistemacher said in his book on the parables, even in hell, the rich man did not seem to realize that his utter neglect of God's commands on earth had ended any claim to spiritual heritage. In his lifetime, he himself had severed the spiritual ties with Abraham by his unbelief and his ignoring the needs of his fellow Jews. Instead of loving his neighbor as himself, he had lived neither for God or his fellow man, but only for himself. So even in hell, the rich man remained unrepentant, end quote. Did you notice he never appealed to God for mercy here? He never asked God for mercy on him. He only asked Abraham, who has no right, no power to dispense such mercy. He called Abraham his father and expected the patriarch to have pity on one of his descendants. But he's also here giving Abraham orders. He instructed Abraham on how to show mercy and send relief. And his tone of voice implies that he considered Lazarus to be a servant who could be sent at his beck and call with the approval of Abraham. Someone has actually said that this is the finest master stroke of the entire parable. The rich man unconsciously retains his arrogant attitude toward Lazarus. Even in hell, he thinks he can tell Lazarus what to do. But the condition of his eternity in hell is nothing but torment. Then in verses 25 and 26, you see the discouraging response of Abraham for heaven, from heaven to the request of the rich man in hell. But Abraham said, child. You see, he is even acknowledging that there is a physical relationship you are my descendant, but it will not help you. Child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. He's saying, you're right. You are my descendant. You are my blood kin. But that physical relationship of being a covenant child is not going to bring you release from your agony for two reasons. One, because of the law of retribution. And the other, because of the irrevocability of God's verdict. Notice how Jesus explains these reasons. The law of retribution. God's justice requires that a person's life, thoughts, and behavior on earth before death stand in direct relation to his destiny after death in eternity. And the rich man had chosen to live for his riches and pleasures. But in hell, he suffers nothing but agony and torment. The poor beggar spent his life in misery without complaint. 
until now he enjoys the riches and luxuries of heaven. And in the parable, Jesus emphasizes also the unbridgeable chasm that's fixed between heaven and hell. That's part of the picture of the irrevo irrevocable verdict of God's judgment on the reprobate and the irrevocable verdict of God's grace on his elect. There can be no passing from heaven to hell or hell to heaven. So God has passed judgment on this man without any possibility of appeal. Then in verses 27 and 28, we see a second pathetic request of the rich man in hell to Abraham. He says, Then I beg you, Father, that you send, him to my, you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he, Lazarus, may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. You see, it finally appears the rich man realizes that his condition is permanent and hopelessly fixed. But he knows it's not too late for his five brothers on earth still alive. There's still time for them to repent and escape from going to hell. So the rich man in hell begs Abraham to send Lazarus to his family to warn his brothers to repent so that they will not go to hell as he has. Here is Abraham's answer in verse 29. They have Moses and the prophets let them hear them. They have the Bible, the living Word of God, the Old Testament. In other words, Abraham refused the rich man's request. His answer is, his father's household had access to the Old Testament, which is the Word of God. And in the Old Testament, as well as in the New, is revealed how a person is to be saved from hell. If there is any hope for the five brothers, they must listen well and believingly to the Bible. There's no other way to escape hell than by the Bible's gospel message that is presented to us in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike. For beloved, there are not two gospels. They are the same in the Old Testament and the New. He says... They have the Old Testament. They can read about the gospel there. Paul said in Galatians 3.8, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. In other words, he is writing to the Galatians saying, The gospel I am teaching you, I am not making it up. I got it from Abraham. I got it from the Old Testament. Then in verse 30, we see this pathetic plea of the rich man in hell. He said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent then. You see, the rich man knows his family would not take the Bible seriously. So he said, If someone arisen from the dead preached to them, then they'll repent. Then the final reply of Abraham, verse 31. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Now why did he say that? He said that because if someone rises from the dead, 
he would not be able to tell them God's revelation any more clearly than God has already told them in the Bible. It is so plain, it is of such divine authority that anyone risen from the dead will not be able to say it any plainer than God has already said it. If a person rejects the written word of God, he will not be brought to repentance by someone risen from the dead. Now think about this. Isn't it a little bit striking that the poor man's name was Lazarus? Remember the previous raising of another man named Lazarus? And the raising of Jesus? And the Jews refused to listen to that testimony. If they did not listen to the Old Testament, to the Bible, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. And you see, that makes the Bible extremely important and a powerful book. Even if you get Lazarus back or Jesus, it won't be any plainer than God is in the pages of the Bible. Oh, if there were just some supernatural event or if some angel would come and preach to me or if Jesus would come back and explain to me what the Bible teaches, then I would believe. Beloved, the Bible is plain enough. So what is the conclusion? First of all, a person's material condition and financial condition is no test of his standing with God. There are two men in this parable, one wealthy and one poor. The poor man goes to heaven and the rich man goes to hell. The poor man lived by faith in Jesus Christ and the rich man lived by faith in his wealth. The poor man walked in the steps of Abraham and lived by his faith in Almighty God. The rich man, although a literal descendant of Abraham, was dead in his trespasses and sins. So people should never be valued according to their income. So as if the man with the most money is the most highly esteemed. The Bible teaches that not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And in Jeremiah, God exhorts us, Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glories glory in this, that he honors and understands me. Wealth is not a certain mark of God's favor. We saw last week that it can be, but it is not a certain mark of God's favor, just as poverty is not necessarily the mark that, is God, that God is angry with you. If we could measure people as God measures them, says Bishop Ryle, we must value them, not according to their wealth, but to their godliness. The second thing we learn from this parable is that death is common unto which all kinds of human beings must come, whether they are beggars or whether they are millionaires. Here again is Bishop Ryle. Death is the great fact that all acknowledge, but very few seem to realize. Most men eat and drink and talk and plan as if they were going to live on this earth forever. The true Christian must be on guard against this spirit. Beloved, I ask you, what is going to be the last thing 
anyone hears you say or sees you do. Against envy and discontent and murmuring in the state of poverty, against pride and self-sufficiency and arrogance in the possession of wealth, there are few better antidotes than the contemplation of your death. The beggar died and his physical needs were at an immediate end. No more worries, no more cares. The rich man died and his sumptuous feasting was stopped forever. Third, believers are especially and tenderly cared for by God in the moment of death. I love that phrase, as I said earlier. The beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. Bishop Ryle says, there's something very comforting in this expression. Duh. We know little or nothing of the state and the feelings of the dead. When our last hour comes and we lie down and die, we shall be like those who journey into an, into an unknown country. But it may satisfy to know that all who fall to sleep in Jesus are in good keeping. They are at rest in the midst of friends with all who have like faith with Abraham. And they know no lack of anything. Fourthly, take seriously the reality and eternity of hell with all of its torments and its agony. The rich man in hell longed, longed for just a drop of cool water on his tongue. A vast chasm separated him from those in heaven forever. Ryle says, The certainty and endlessness of the future punishments of the wicked and unbelieving are truths which we must hold fast and never let go. Never let us be deceived. There is a hell for the unrepentant and a heaven for those who believe. Fifth, unconverted people find the value. Listen, unconverted people find the value, the true value of life after death when it is too late. Ryle again said, when the rich man finds out the folly of his wickedness, it's too late. The change that will come over the minds of unconverted people after death is one of the most fearful points in their future condition. They will see and know and understand a hundred things to which they were obstinately blind to when they were alive. They will discover like Esau, they have bartered away eternal happiness for a mess of pottage. There are no skeptics in heaven. There are no agnostics in hell. There are no unbelievers in hell. And as I said the other day in quoting an old author, hell is nothing more than truth known too late. Then last week we learn here, 
in this parable, the rich man and Lazarus, that the greatest miracles and supernatural signs from God, like raising someone from the dead, have no effect on a person's heart if he will not believe in, in the Bible. Once again, Bishop Ryle. The Bible contains all that we need to know in order to be saved. And a messenger from the world beyond the grave could add nothing to them. It is not more evidence that is needed in order to make a person repent, but more heart and, and more will to make use of what a person already knows. Remember, the law of God is written on every man's heart, and he is created in the image of God. The dead could tell us nothing more than the Bible contains if they rose from their graves to instruct us. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.